All right. Well, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in weeks and I weeks, know. right? I know. I really miss coming to the gym. It's making me sad. <laughs> well, hopefully, um, you know, we get our stuff together uh, as a state and uh, cases no. start declining, you know, because yeah. it's, oh, it's been such a, and we're, you know, back to school's happening. I thought that's something we could I'm sure talk about and yeah anyway yeah. but yeah so that's a uh, that's I'm so that but segue on that is I'm glad that uh, you are you are in kind of a rural area but you're sitting here able to do a zoom meeting that's awesome yeah it's kind of funny because um, it took us a while to figure this out but um, if you go a mile that way you'll lose internet if you go a mile back this way you use internet or not internet because we're not I don't have internet connection I have I'm on a hotspot yeah. basically through my phone um, but you'll you'll lose cell coverage like in either direction so I mean there's so when we first moved out here we used to notice that people would pull up to the side of um, the road by our house and then just sit there and we would always be like where are these people sitting well finally one day I just asked them it's because there's cell coverage and so people who live three-fourths of a mile from me will come up here to make a phone call and then go back home yeah. so we're in this really sweet spot in terms of um, being able to get cell coverage but we're on a data plan so you know that's one of the things about rural internet is like we have to really parcel it out because if we just use internet oh, yeah. whenever we want to, we'll run out of internet by the end of the, you know, by the middle of the oh, month. So we have to all, point. there's five of us, so we have to all kind of be like, everyone gets their allocated time. <laughs> yeah. Do you know anything about um, the, the uh, order or legislation that is being passed to distribute uh, throughout Arkansas for rural internet for like back to school? I, I know that it happened. Yeah, I know that it happened. And I've been following that stuff really closely for work. Um, I'm not at the office today. So one of my main things when I get back to work tomorrow will be to try to wrap my mind around what all the possibilities are because that really plays into my job a lot. Um, and, you know, I think that oh, my dogs are wrestling. I think one of the um, you know, the things that I think it's, it's positive that can come out of this moment is like the fact that we've always needed that kind of access for our population yes. and to see that the state is acting on it. Um, I feel like is a real positive thing. And, and I, I hope that, that it good news. I was so happy to read yeah. that. Yeah, because I mean, it really mm -hmm. is like a huge, um, you know, that was when we moved back here from Little Rock. That was one of the things we had to take into account was we really wanted to come back, but neither of us could do our job without access to, like, Internet. And like I said, we're just super lucky because if our property was literally a fourth of a mile away, we wouldn't we wouldn't be using um, data but the data plan so it's really needed out here it really really is so um, I'm hoping that you know one good thing can come out of this is helping people understand how necessary that is for yeah. for people out here yeah I've had the silliest problem with my podcast I'm in my new studio and I got yeah. this hardwired Ethernet right <laughs> uh -huh. I have it here it's right I could, but this is not the right uh, one. Oh no! <laughs> it's oh, like no. It, it, that they made. Uh, they don't really put the Ethernet port in uh, laptops anymore. I got a new MacBook Pro for work uh -huh. and for this and for the gym and for the studio. Yeah. And it's I've been having the silliest little problems like that because um, there's some conversions that have been made. I'm just not hip on. So, understand that <laughs> yeah i mean yeah but uh like uh, just like this zoom platform we're podcasting on mm -hmm. that was a great leap forward for society i feel like everybody uh, the the joke is now it could have been a zoom meeting yeah you know versus <laughs> it could have been an email right <laughs> yeah uh so well you mentioned uh you mentioned your job 
Mike, I, you and you know, I, I kind of want to talk with you about a little bit of everything today, a little bit of how you got into folklore, where you've been, um, okay. just because I know that um, I know that you just haven't been in the area. I feel like you're just back in the area, you know, kind of yeah. a little bit about your your experiences. Um, but also about your, like, one thing I will say about you is I feel like you're a very community oriented person. And okay. I feel like, uh, I feel like I see that kind of play into your job. I see that play into your philanthropic work. Um, what, what is it, what is it exactly you do with your job? We've never really talked about it in detail. Yeah. Um, well, the, it used to be called the literacy council. So a lot of people know it by that name. Um, we changed the name a while back just to reflect that we do more than just literacy. So it's called the River Valley Adult Learning Alliance. So um, we serve five counties, Pope, Yale, Johnson, Franklin, and Logan. So five predominantly rural counties. Um, so what we do is we work with adults, um, 18 and over, for, for pretty much any kind of um, self-identified adult learning that they might want to do. So what that looks like in most cases is getting a GED, um, taking a citizenship test, um, or taking other kinds of like um, tests for work, certification, things like that. So we work with a lot of um, people wanting to get their GED and then people wanting to learn English. So a lot of conversational English as well. So we have a lot of ESL students that's uh, English as a second language, who yeah. speak English but maybe want to improve their English skills, so we'll set them up with a conversation partner. We also have some students who don't really speak much English at all um, and um, start from the beginning um, learning English. And um, and then most recently what that's meant is, um, and we're, we're right now we're trying to pivot to do this more, is what we call family literacy. So my funding comes from the state. So I can't work with people under 18. Um, can work with people under 16 if they're dropped out of school, but if they're enrolled in public school, then have to be 18. However, um, what we can do is what's called family literacy, which is um, we help the adult help the child. So right now with AMI packets, with yeah. people doing virtual school, that's a huge thing. And, um, you know, and so, even for people who have, you know, I tell people this all the time, like I have a master's degree and you would think I would always be able to help my kids with my homework, but that's not always the case. Like sometimes I may understand, sorry, my dog. Desto, my, you got my dog. If my dog was here, he would be right here. Uh, I have this sweet, he's, his body is full grown now, but he's still kind of a puppy and he's a little awkward. Corey and I have giant dogs, so <laughs> you don't, it, it's, it's totally fine. I kind of, I, I think it's hilarious when, like when okay. I'll podcast at the house and the dog comes up and he's like, hey, I'm on the podcast too. <laughs> I know, he would just, he's an Australian shepherd and he is huge too and he's such a goofball and I love him so much. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we try to help parents help um, our caregivers, it might be a grandparent, you know, whoever's helping with the child, um, help help them help the child. And um, so we've uh, done a partnership with the um, Yale County Junior Auxiliary Ladies to where they're going to be volunteer tutors for us. And... Um, and so we'll be working closely with the schools right now. We're really in communication with Dardanelle school, but we want to branch that out to the other schools as well. Um, and just kind of be that support system for caregivers as they're trying to make sense of virtual schooling of, you know, if the schools have to close and they have to do AMI packets, you know, trying to make sense of, and I think a lot of that is just providing a support system because, um, you know, it's hard and it's stressful to try to take on that. I mean, teachers are highly skilled, trained people. And for us to suddenly, you know, kind of try to take on that role that they've been studying to do for years and years and have all this hands-on practice, it's difficult. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I always try to say is, like, one of the reasons we should respect and honor our teachers more is because clearly they are highly trained people who know what they're doing. And um, so I think, you know, we're just trying to, to provide that support. Hold on. I'm, Ryan, can you get Desto? Desto, I like that. His name is short for this Incandesto, which came from a book that me and the kids read. And so, um, but hey, Brian. 
I'm going to just a Sidebar, second. I'm so Brian sorry. has also been on the podcast. Everything is always a little nuts around here. Okay. <laughs> hey, there's like, there's little kids training on the other side of this wall in my okay. studio. You know, it's uh, so if you hear some some music thumping, Corey yelling at people, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. <laughs> you know, you bring up something that I'm going to tell you I didn't even think about. I mean, I know. So I was homeschooled till eighth grade. So my parents kind of undertook all of the subjects and trying to, you know, educate me until that time. But that's something uh, with, uh, with like ESL, I had not thought about you. These kids are going to need help at home and mm -hmm. their parents may not be able to disseminate what's coming home with them. Is that, is that kind of what you were hitting on? Yeah. I mean, not just ESL students, really anyone, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the language barrier is, um, is a big deal because a lot of times, um, you know, people who work in the schools know this, a lot of children translate for their families, um, yes. you know, um, which I think is something that's kind of under-recognized in our community. And I always say that, um, I think we ought to start a scholarship for, um, kids coming out of our schools that um, because a lot of these kids are tra fluently translating by the time they're in fifth grade, which is like a highly specialized skill that people work for years to do. And these kids are just doing it because it's, you know, survival tactic. And um, I think we should honor that. So, but yeah, so the kids are having schoolwork come home and the parents may not necessarily, you know, the parents may know how to do the math, but not necessarily how to explain it in English when the directions are in English. And so, yeah, that's one of the things that we um, we're trying to help with is um, uh, Yamira is uh, the AmeriCorps worker who works with us. She's really amazing and she does a lot of our ESL work. Um, I'm learning to speak Spanish, but I'm not able to. I'm not fluent yet, so I can't help uh, as much as I'd like. Um, and so, yeah. And then also for, you know, for, you know, English speaking families, um, you know, we have a lot of, of a lot of parents. And like I said, for me, I know this happens for me my kids are going into fifth grade, like fourth grade math. I understood how to do it, but like how to explain it the way they were taught in their class. I learned it differently. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a comment I hear parents making all the time. Yes. And I actually, this is not a popular opinion for a lot of people, but I actually kind of love the way they're teaching math now because um, I really struggled with math and I don't mean like I wasn't kind of good at it. I mean, like, I really struggled with it. Me too. That was um, thinking when you were talking a second ago, I was like, I can't do the math. Like that's, uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's. Yeah, you get me past, you get me to college or you get me to like basic algebra and I am lost. And past algebra one, past Y equals MX plus B, I'm out of there. <laughs> Same. But I love the way they're teaching it now because they're teaching it kind of more like whole system. So you really comprehend, like I'll probably butcher this. I'm not a, educator but like for example like they're teaching kids to think about like the number 10 is also two fives which you know we know that eventually but we weren't really necessarily taught that you had to kind of like grasp that on your own to some degree over time and I just never was able to think um in those more abstract terms about math and I feel like if I well, they're not even abstract, they're more concrete. If I'd have been given that kind of learning, I feel like I wouldn't have struggled as much as I did. So I actually kind of love the way they're teaching math now. I know some parents hate it, but, but it's actually like doing the math with my kids. I'm learning a lot. And I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, this is actually helpful for me because I really struggled. Um, I mean, I had, a, I had a scholarship to go to um, UCA undergrad, but my my math scores on the ACT were so low, I had to go to remedial math classes uh, in college, even though I landed a scholarship because my other uh, categories were so high. So, I mean, I like really struggled and, um, and, and it's been something that's been hard in my whole life. And I feel like I'm kind of getting a, a chance to relearn it. And it's kind of fun, kind of fun. I mean, I don't like, like it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know what you're saying. And I got, I got pushed into the same thing, remedial math, but I will tell you how I weaseled out of it as in a side story. 
So it was Dr. Limparis was the department head of mathematics. I believe he's since retired. But I took logic, right? And two, I think that kind of what I've seen with some math, I would describe as a logic game, right? Mm. With some, which I've, al I've always liked logic more. And I feel like, um, you know, logic and math are just, but mm -hmm. I made an A in logic, which is mm -hmm. a pre-cal credit at U of A. So I go in and I'm like, you know, Dr. Limparis, <laughs> I'm a senior, you know, I really just would like to take college mathematics was a course they offered that would satisfy your college algebra credit. And uh -huh. I was like, and by the way, I made an A in logic with Dr. <laughs> you know, at U of A, that's a pre-cal credit. I'm not saying that, you know, and he just was like, I'm going to uh, override. Nice. nice. He, put, he put me in and I ended up making uh, an A or a B in that college algebra or college mathematics class. But like what you're saying, I think it is so valuable. I was a little older. I was probably 25 then. I think it's valuable to come back to that stuff as an adult. I think it'll keep our, our minds stimulated. And I, I told one of the teens here yesterday uh, that because uh, she said that she has not stopped uh, doing school since the like all summer and everything and like her parents have like shifted to homeschool and they're oh, they're very capable to do that and I was like you know I think I've learned more since I've been out of college than maybe my whole life because mm -hmm. I finally figured out how to learn and how to set up like you're saying mm -hmm. oh I'm just learning Spanish no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. I'm sure it's probably frustrating too, is what I was thinking when you were saying that. But yeah, um, it. But we are now, I think, uh, on the other side of our education. That's what I learned is is how to learn, how to set up processes yeah. for myself and teaching. Oh man, that has oh. got me learning more than anything. Whether it's martial arts, but particularly history. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's something we try to talk about when, when I do, you know, community speaking things for my job is, you know, I think there's this real misconception, and I think it's really prevalent around here, is that you go to college, or I mean, you go to high school, if you graduate, that's great, and then, you know, um, maybe you go to college, maybe you don't, but like, and then you kind of go on and do life or whatever, but the reality is, is like, we are always always learning like we are never stopped learning and that does and that does has nothing to do with whether we go to college or not like people who are really good at their jobs whether it be construction or um you know working at the bank whatever it is like we're always learning and so i think there's this thing with where i work we try to tell people is like just because you don't understand it doesn't make you unintelligent it doesn't make you um like there, there's no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, we're all always learning. And so we really want to take that kind of like shame away from families and be like, it's no big deal that you don't know how to do this and help your kids. I don't either, you know, let's figure it out together. And, you know, cause I think there's just this real idea that um, if you don't already know it, you can't know it. And that's not true at all, you know? And so, um, and just kind of highlight that people are always learning. I mean, we tend to think of like what you learn in school as being like the highest form of learning, but people who didn't finish high school, I work with people all the time who didn't finish high school and they're incredibly intelligent people and they have like tons of job skills and they can do things I couldn't even imagine. They just don't have the piece of paper, big deal. So let's help you get the piece of paper so you can go on and get that next level of what you're wanting to do, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I feel really strongly about that. And, um, you know, I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college and, um, you know, it was a really big deal and I'm proud of that accomplishment. But at the same time, um, I think there are a lot of people out there that don't make that choice or can't make that choice. And that has nothing to do with their intelligence level. Like we're all always learning, you know? Yes. Yes. That is so true. I can, it's just been a steady, up uphill climb for me right and it's less um i guess i finally got in shape it's less of a strenuous activity you know and i get frustrated less there's you know i just started taking guitar lessons but i played uh -huh. guitar for like 20 years i, I yeah. was doing the math on that and i was like whoa it's been it has it's been pretty almost 20 years like like 18 and a half years but you know i have like learned a ton 
already. It's insane. And one, one full lesson. And then like, he sent me some uh, resources like uh sword documents and stuff, but my capacity to learn was there. And then to associate with everything else I'd learned on the guitar. And I just kept thinking while I was learning new things and it was blowing my mind. I was like, Oh, I go through this with martial arts. I go through this with history. Like it's a, a constant recontextual, like I'm mm -hmm. just going through it all the time, recontextualizing things. Yes, totally. Yeah, totally. Which is awesome. I think, I think that's going to, I have no science behind this, but I think this is going to keep us, uh, keep our minds healthy longer. I would like to think I, that we will, we will stay pl so. plugged in and, 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 you know, pass uh, in our, in our sleep some night when we're in our nineties or hundreds. I hope so. That'd be the way to go. All of our <laughs> mental faculties there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no pain. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, can, would you, um, without sharing any names, could you share some like success stories you've seen since, you, how long have you been working there? It'll be two years next month, two years next month. Um, what, have been, what have been some moving things that you've seen and been a part of on the job? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. Um, well, yeah, I can't name names, but I will tell you this story about this one guy who, um, he had been working toward his GED for at least a year or two before I came on. Um, and I don't work, I, unfortunately, I don't get to work directly with the students. I'm as my job is actually part time. And so as the director, I kind of manage the tutors and I do a lot of paperwork. So like I meet the students, but I don't get to do um, a, a lot of the tutoring. So but I'm, I'm in constant communication with everyone. And so, you know, his tutor, had told me, you know, that she'd been working with him for a long time. And there kind of became a point where she was like, I, I'm not giving up. I want to keep working with him, but I just don't know if he's going to pass the GD because it was like three years in. And so we work really closely with adult ed, which is the institution and organization that gives the main classes for um, GED. And I should back up and say, we don't give the testing, but what a lot of people don't realize about the GED is that the group classes that adult education offers, the state offers, is you have to be at a fifth grade reading level to take those classes. If you are not at a fifth grade reading level, those classes are just not useful to you. They're, you know, so we work with a lot of people that come in, they want to take the GED, but they are not at a fifth grade reading level. So they come work with us until they get ready to go into the group classes. So anyway, he was one of these students. And But to make a very long story short, um, uh, it's been about seven months ago, he finally passed the last subject area of his GED. And it took him almost five years. Um, but he did not give up. Um, and I have just like, and he had health problems throughout it. And he just never gave up. And I have so much respect for him because, you know, um, there was a, a, I think a lot of people would have quit. And he didn't. Um, you know, I've also seen, um, you know, we have, we serve a lot of um, immigrant families. And so, um, you know, I've seen where people would come, will come in and um, like we had a couple that came in and um, they were wanting to learn English, but one of them also didn't read in Spanish. They both fluent speaking in Spanish, but one of, one of them was unable to also read in Spanish as well. So how do you teach someone to read in English who also doesn't read in their first language? Um, so we had to kind of back up. And um, so um, this person is learning to read in Spanish and then also starting to learn to read and speak in English. Um, so, uh, so that's been like really, um, that's been really powerful. Um, we had a student, um, who is sometimes we get students who work with us through kind of court, not exactly court mandated, but um, it's been recommended by the court. And this was a, a English lang language learner. Um, and there was some custody issues. And um, to make a very long story short, uh, she was able to go to the store and um, use her child's uh, like school supply list and get school supplies and in, in, in the, use the one in English for the first time ever. So she was like, I got to go shopping and with my child and my child did not have to translate for me. I read the whole list. Um, so, you know, wow, and those, great. 
Uh, yeah, I know, right? And so, you know, and people feel um, rightfully so, you know, they've worked so hard for it. And so, um, yeah, and then I'll tell you one more story. This is one of my favorite ones, too, is um, we had a student who wanted to um, get their GED. Um, she was probably in her 60s. Um, had it, you know, and a lot of people, this is a misconception that people have is like, oh, if you don't have your GED or you don't read a fifth grade re reading level, you know, your my life must be horrible and sad. But no, I mean, these are people who've like learned all these techniques to function in life. So this was a very successful person in her job. She um, had a great life. She had grandkids. She was very happy, but she wanted to pass the GED. Well, so we got her set up with a tutor. But one of the things I love about this uh, story is um, her tutor is somebody who signed up to volunteer with us who had also gotten her GED. So her tutor was a, a person who had gotten, who had dropped out of high school as well, who had gone on later in her 30s and her 40s and gotten her GED, and now she volunteers with us and she tutors other people who are getting their GEDs. So I just, I love that, you know, um, and so I don't know, it's really, it's really inspiring and you know having English language learners come in that really inspires me to do better with my Spanish because I'm like you know if you can come to another country not speak the language at all and try to navigate it I can I can sit down and practice Spanish for an hour you know what I mean I mean it's yes. like I, I mean it's like the, the the things that people do to survive are amazing and their people are so tough and they're so resilient and you know so um, yeah, so I'm kind of inspired every day, and it really makes me realize, like, the resources and privileges I have and reminds me, like, to use them wisely. You know what I mean? It's like people are out there doing amazing things, and most of the time they don't get any recognition for it. And um, so I'm kind of just always amazed. And, um, yeah, I love working with it. I wish I could work closely with the students more than I do. A lot of it, like I said, is working with the tutors who then work with the students. So... Yeah, and one thing I just, I don't even know why this popped in my head other than it's a sad reality of one of the things you just said, like, how do you address or deal with or do you run into that negative xenophobic or racial stereotype that will, don't come here if you don't speak the language. I, yeah. I've heard that my whole life and I just don't. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't see that. Like, I'm like, well, that's not, that's not what I thought we were about guys. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, oh yeah. It, just, it blows my mind. And I really, I know people that think that way and it's like, I don't even know how to address it anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there's, you know, I think it's um, a lot of people feel that way. And I think, you know, at its root, it's, ignorance. I've never had a conversation with someone who had those feelings and legitimately understood what was happening. Like when you start to ask questions around, do you understand what DACA, you know, deferred action for childhood arrivals is like, the, you know, do you, people don't, people who hate DACA don't actually understand what it is. Um, you know, people who are like really anti-immigrant absolutely don't understand what's happening in the countries where people are coming from. You know what I mean? There's like a ton of ignorance around it. Um, but, you know, I think the scary thing is, is it's, you know, it starts out as just ignorance, but then it actually creates a less safer community for people and people are scared. And I mean, one of the things that um, I try to explain to people is like, uh, it takes a lot of bravery for people to come in to ask for resources with us because a lot of Spanish speaking people in the community know how other people feel about them and to like, pub, you know, come in and ask for help is, is, is scary for folks. Um, so I think that, you know, people who want to fight that xenophobic and racist attitude, we have to be very vocal and be like, you know, no, we want to be here. We want to support. We're all in this together. Um, and because people are legitimately, you know, fearful. Um, so the schools, I think, you know, I've always, I always brag on the Dardanelle schools, like they have been translating, they send home, everything that comes home in the Dardanelle school system is um, in English and Spanish. Right. Um, they, they've been doing that for a long time. They've led the way. Um, I've never heard anyone really talk about this at the state level, but I mean, I think people should know that the Dardanelle school district has been ahead of their time on that for wow. you know, way ahead. The city doesn't do that but the school district does. And I'll back up and tell you another an inspirational like story that's connected to this. And I still get chills like talking about it. But um, 
I had put out a call for tutors when I first started working there. This is a big long story, but when I first started working, there was a lot of, a lot of infrastructure and I was kind of starting from scratch in a lot of ways. So I put out a call, you know, um, for tutors and I said, especially bilingual tutors. Well, I got this application back from this young man and he was a pre-med student at Arkansas Tech University and he was bilingual and he really wanted help and I was like cool so I said come on up to the office I'll show you around so we have access to this um, we're in the we're in a Dardanelle school district building but we're not employed by the Dardanelle school district but they let us use their space and at the end of the um, at the end of the building is this thing called the parent educator resource center and it used to be used that way. It's not used as much that way now, but we're trying to revive that. Well, he came in and I, I asked him a little bit about himself and we talked and all this stuff. And he said he was a graduate of Dardanelle High School and, um, you know, he was pre-med and he told me a little bit about his work. And I said, oh, cool, let me show you the, uh, the room where you can use to tutor the students. I'll show you around. And he said, oh, I've been down there. That's where I learned English. And he was like in fourth grade when he learned English. He said, yeah, yeah, I've been in that room. That's where I learned to speak English. And I was like, you know, and now he's a pre-med student. And yeah, and he's like, you know, and he was like, I'm here. You know, I know what it's like. And, you know, I mean, I, and I still get chills telling, you know, that story because, and I think, you know, I, I don't know anything about like his actual story, but a lot of people who are like anti-immigrant and anti-DACA say, oh, we don't want people here. People don't realize that a lot of the people that we're graduating with honors from our local high school are DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival. People who are given back to the community. I don't know if he's DACA. I mean, that's not the point of the story, but I'm saying that there are a lot of people who are. And, um, like and people just don't realize that um you know what what's happening in the community and so um you know i think there's a ton of ignorance and then it just it hurts it literally like hurts the future of the community um and we have to fight that ignorance like we have to fight it because it's just detrimental for not just the immigrant community but for everybody you know mm -hmm. it's detrimental for the whole community so Anyway, um, let's. Um, so, what can you uh, tell me and the listeners? Because it's great that we uh, just get get to talk about all these things. Because usually we're sidebarring these things for five minutes while we're trying to punch each other and stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which you know, I, okay. So I knew you first uh, when I was getting my degrees. You were adjuncting. And um, I remember one one summer you taught um, out at Lake Point, and I filmed you. And I think that you were pregnant at that time, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm yeah. not sure. Um, it may have been with with uh, with the boys. I don't know. But uh, so I've no, I've known you through that way. But uh, with the um, now that you've come back in kind of full circle to the gym because you got into boxing along your travels. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, I, I follow along with everything that you post about and you post about everything you're doing kind of like, kind of like myself. So um, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, like I know what you're involved in, but don't really know the specifics, you know? So uh, with uh, the Mick house, like what, what are you doing with that? How did that get started? Uh, where did the house come from? You know, yeah. FAQs. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah, the McElroy house, um, it's not a very linear story. I always tell people that like there's, there was a lot of twists and turns. So this is a very oversimplified version that I'm going to give you because there was a lot of stops and starts and struggles and whatever. But so, um, the McElroy, it was originally my grandparents' house. I grew up um, staying with my grandparents and my uncle there. Um, and to make a very long story short, when uh, when my mother passed away, which is what brought me back to Arkansas, I was in Kentucky when my mom got very ill uh, with terminal cancer. And um, so uh, in a very long series of events, I wound up inheriting uh, the, the property. And, um, but kind of what I didn't want to rent it. I didn't want to make a profit from it. I wanted to figure out a way to, you know, give it back to the community and trying to figure out like what that looks like has been a never ending process. But when I was in 
graduate school in Western Kentucky, uh, I worked with a man named Michael Morrow, and he was the founder of the West Kentucky African American Heritage Museum. And he's still there. They're still doing amazing work. Um, I'll share some videos with you. But, um, and this is Russellville, Kentucky, not Russellville, Arkansas, which is kind of funny. Um, about a population, about 9,000 people there. And um, so, but anyway, he would take, he was from the neighborhood. Uh, he would take all these old buildings that were basically falling down or in various, you know, stages of, you know, needing repair and turn them into community resource centers um, and would work with the local um, jail uh, to help kids get job skills um, and did after school tutoring and then one of the big things they were doing was historical research um, and, and in the community and particularly gene genealogy um, and this was black genealogy so like black doing black geneal genealogical research and white genealogical research are totally different things I mean people you know like trying to find your family's roots if your black family is inc sometimes incredibly difficult. Um, and so he was tracing black genealogy, you know, back to slavery in Russaville, which of course was highly controversial in the town, as you might imagine. Um, and so, and you know, and doing all this historical research and, um, and I just learned, you know, so much from him about how you do history in a way that benefits the community um, and uh, and how you take resources and turn them into, uh, you know, to take things that might look like not a resource and then turn it into, you know, like a resource for the community. And he let me kind of basically follow him around uh, for two years, which is amazing. And um, I got to meet um, Mr. Neblet, who was one of the first SNCC freedom, freedom singers from, you know, the 60s, who was highly involved in the civil rights movement. Um, I got to meet, like, you know, everybody in the community. Um, and, you know, so when I came back to Arkansas, I kept thinking about, you know, how can we do that kind of work here, but in a way that makes sense you know, in our community. I mean, the community I was working in was majority black and, you know, um, it was a different, different world. And I was kept thinking like, how do I come back to the place I'm from, but do work that helps bring people together and helps understand history more deeply. And, you know, what resources do we have that might not look like major resources on the surface, but really can be utilized for the community. And so I just learned, I mean, I, I consider him, you know, my biggest mentor and, still keep in touch with him um as often as i can podcast guest i feel yes yes please oh yes yes michael would be amazing and i'd actually love to hear it because they've had a lot of stuff happen in the last like two years i've been following kind of a lot and so I'm, i'd be super curious to know uh all the details behind that because i just know bits and pieces um you would be yeah. um we should uh we should try and set that up and you would be more than yeah. uh welcome to uh sit in i do even Zoom style, I do mm -hmm. multiple person, I do three person podcast quite a bit. I've had people just be doing a podcast with somebody's best friend from New York uh -huh. and he's in LA and the guy in LA is like, I'm just going to log on. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen and watch. <laughs> right. So, but um, I told, uh, I told Marie uh, with a couple of people, she suggested, I was like, Hey, let's see if we can't set this up and you can be on and we can, kind of guide the conversation together because we'll have different questions and um yeah. get the most out of it but uh that's i'm always looking like i'll tell you johnny sane was such a good yeah he's so great. right i know it's awesome yeah i love johnny i guess up in yellowstone now i've been keeping up with him posting or was in yellowstone. i saw he had a fishing picture yesterday so he's out hunting me and him and christine and brian we trade uh we provide a lot of vegetables and they give us deer meat. We got a nice little swap going on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. There you go. Fantastic. He, yeah, he was such a great guest. Um, I, I, I want to have him back on, you know, I've let, let, let some time pass and get him to come back on. I had a lot of positive feedback about that uh, episode as well mm -hmm. from different people yeah. locally, particularly, but. It was a good one. I listened to that one. I was gardening. I had it on my on the phone and was listening to it while I was gardening. It was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. But that, you know, I will say just like with this conversation we're having, I think I kind of um, mentioned this to you when we were messaging back and forth. This is a resource. This is a database. 
of conversations like these with like I've gained empathy from just being on this uh, call, right? It's like, oh man, I, I never thought about the ESL issue barrier with that stuff we were talking about earlier. Like, mm -hmm. and, and now it just broadens my whole take on it back to school and virtual learning and everything that's going on right now. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. totally. Um, so, how did you so you kind of mentioned a little bit of your education but like when when i did meet you whether that was i think that was when you're adjuncting right i think i was an undergraduate and you're adjuncting mm -hmm. you were a folklorist mm -hmm. right uh yeah. which <laughs> you're the only person like that i've ever um uh, you know it's just you don't you run into very few philosophers and you run into fewer folklorists how we're out which there. is fascinating how I know, yes. How did you how did you get to be one though? That is the that is such a uh, fascinating topic for me. Uh, and one thing that has always interested me about uh, your interests. Mm -hmm. Gosh, well, I stumbled into it. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I kind of grew up as one, although I wouldn't know to call it that as a kid. You know what I mean? Like I was raised. Um, so to back up, like folklore is the study of basically like the people, human traditions, um, how things are passed down through generations. Um, that's an oversimplification. And some of my teachers probably get onto me for being so oversimplified, but that's a, you know, general way to look at it. And um, a lot of people think it's just studying old timey things, but it can be, it can be more modern things. But yeah, I grew up, um, I was an only child. My grandma lived with me, lived with us. I was by far the youngest person in my family, like by far, you know what I mean? So like I did, I had cousins and stuff like that, but my cousins were older. Uh, I was always the youngest one around. So I, I just grew up with old people, quite honestly. Um, and, you know, I grew up with stories and my parents had me kind of late in life. Um, for that time period, you know, um, it's more common now, but my dad was in his late thirties. My mom was in her early thirties and, you know, in the seventies, that wasn't super common. So I just was always around like a lot of older people. Um, and my dad is, a, you know, a historian in his own way. And he knows all the history around here and he knows all the stories. And so, you know, I just kind of grew up with that being like my reality, um, and didn't think much about it. Um, and, you know, when I went to school, I was undergrad, I want, thought I wanted to be an English professor because I loved literature and all that stuff. Um, but then I had a history class and um, we had to do primary research and I discovered oral history, like going out and interviewing people. And I was like, this is what, <laughs> this is what I want to do with my life. You know, like I was like, this is it, you know, going out and talking to people and um, hearing old stories and stuff like that. So. I did that for a while and then <clears throat> heard about other folklorists and stuff and got into music and things like that. But then I stumbled into a job at public radio, um, which is amazing to me to this day because I was young and a little naive, but I kind of walked into the station and was like, I like oral histories. Will you hire me? I mean, that's essentially what I said, which like, I'm glad I was bold enough to do that. I don't know if I'd pull it off now, but, and they did, that was even weirder. They did. And uh, so I worked as, as a, uh, uh, basically a reporter, but doing oral history type stuff for a couple of years. And then, um, I, I loved working in public radio, but one of the things when you're doing like kind of more journalistic work is you're, you jump very quickly from one topic to another. Um, you don't really get to hone in. Like I was thinking about Marie, and how she's honed in on one time period and just knows that time period intimately. You know, as a journalist, you just kind of have to like, you cover this and then you cover that. And I just thought, you know, this is not really for me. I really want to know, I really want to dig in more and I want to be more involved in my community, not just like reporting on it, but actually doing some of the work. And so to make a really long story short, I found the program at Western Kentucky uh, graduate program and, um, and, excuse me, and applied for that um, and wound up you know, going to school there. So it's kind of like a... That's where you got like, your undergrad was Western Kentucky? Uh, I got my undergrad at UCA. 
Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. I didn't know if that's where you decided to go, or uh, or what. So, um, yeah. so uh, okay. So, what did you do after Western Kentucky? Well, that's kind of how I wound up back here. Like I, um, my intention had been to you know to go on and use my degree, and I had a, was starting to get ready to apply for some stuff, and. Um, my mom got diagnosed with terminal cancer. My, um, well, um, you know, I think it's important to share these stories. It's not, she died about 10 years ago. It's not hard for me to talk about. And I, I like to share them because I do think a lot of times people have misconceptions about how you get from point A to point B. So, you know, in real life, um, has other plans sometimes for you. And so for me, um, I was getting ready to take my final exams when I found out my mom was dying. Um, and so, uh, the day I took my final exam was like the day, um, she was supposed to go in for a full mastectomy, but then they decided not to do it because they realized the cancer was so advanced. There was no point in doing the surgery. So that was like what was happening the day I was taking my final exams. And, um, I was going to drop out and go back home and help take care of my mom. And my mom was, cause I knew time was limited and my mom was like, you know, no one in our family had ever gotten a master's degree. And my mom was like, no, you are not coming home. You are finishing that degree. Like you have gotten this far. I will, I will make it, you know, or whatever. And, um, and she did, and she managed to come to my graduation. Um, she was, you know, we had to get a wheelchair and bring her to the front and stuff, but she made it to my graduation. Um, and then, um, like three days after that, we just threw everything in a U-Haul and came back to Arkansas. And, uh, so yeah. So, you know, and another thing, you know, that's like just being real, real about my experiences is I went from, you know, I had, graduated at the top of my class and had an award won awards and stuff like that. And the next thing I knew, uh, I didn't really, I was totally broke. My mom was dying and I was unexpectedly pregnant with twins. <laughs> oh, so, man. Happily unexpectedly pregnant with twins, but certainly not what we were going for. So, you know, like it kind of was like, I thought life was going to go a certain way. And, you know, and then my dad got diagnosed with cancer. So my mom had just died. I was having children. Brian worked the night shift. We were incredibly broke. And then my dad got uh, diagnosed with cancer. He lived. Thank goodness he's still alive today. So for several years, um, really for about four years, I went through a series of just trying to figure out how to function honestly i mean it was very difficult um very 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 difficult um very beautiful because i had you know we were having our children and we were so excited but twins are really hard um i didn't have any help uh brian was working the night shift my mom had just died and my dad was horribly ill so um you know but you know i laugh and joke about it now because when people like I joke about when people are like, what makes you qualified to, you know, run an organization? And I'm like, I took care of twins by myself while I was highly depressed and my dad was sick and my mom had just died. So like, you can't scare me. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> so I kind of joke about it now because I think, you know, it really changed uh, and it really helped me see what difficulty can be. And it also helped me see like, you know, um, how to how to find the beauty in things when they're hard and so like you know i learned a lot about who i am and who i want to be and stuff like that and um but yeah so when i think when i met you i was just i was working all kinds of odd jobs you know what i mean just trying to figure out how to funk you know what to do so i, I adjunct for a while i did oral history transcription work for a while. I, I wrote for the newspaper, um, just kind of hodgepodge jobs together so I could stay home with the kids, um, but still bring in a little bit of money. Um, 
and you know and was working on the McElroy house so it's kind of a series of you know just trying to uh, figure it all out and but my kids are all the my sons are almost 11 now and um you know, life is a lot easier now than it was. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I just, I'm having an idea and I want to run it by you. See what you think about it. Uh, so I have a blog for the podcast now. Oh, cool. I just mm-hmm. got it set up. Um, if you ever want to write for it, mm-hmm. any topic, um, it does not have to be about martial arts or anything. Yeah. I will do some topics about that. But if you ever, would ever like to... Con- yeah if you'd ever like to contribute in any way though um we can we can work out anything on that i can yeah. uh, pay you Me to too. contribute or trade memberships to, to whatever you want to do oh, fun yeah but i want to, i want it to be like the podcast right i mm-hmm. i don't want to be like listen to what i have to say about everything <laughs> right right <laughs> anyway awesome. but i mean that's i i get i get to talk plenty you know and i get to um put my ideas out there in a variety mm-hmm. of ways and even yeah. in these conversations um yeah, but uh, i think that would be awesome this i've thought about that uh, quite a bit i've got um some different people that um I, we picked i picked up my first sponsor for the podcast oh, congratulations that's awesome it's a it's a, a wedding ring um, what is- it, this, this is not one of the rings, but it's this ring called chaos and they're the silicone oh, okay. rings, uh-huh. b- but they're like a jujitsu belts. Oh, cool. Awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's my jujitsu sp- uh, sponsor for the podcast. Right. But, um, we're, we're going to start doing them for people when we give them a new belt in jujitsu, wow. if, if they're married. We're going to give them a ring and these like this ring. I've had a few of these, whatever this brand is, some, some like kind of one in a million brand or something, you know, there's just like tons of them, but the other brand is like made for working out, you know, it's made to like, you could lift weights with it or whatever. And it's supposed to Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But that's, that's kind of the evolution that I've made it to with the podcast is, uh, is I'm trying to branch out more uh with other people like myself i've had a few podcasters on recently and um i love having local people from the community like yourself or johnny sane or or whoever it is different different people from across the state have come on it's just been such a great uh great undertaking but if you ever have anything that you're passionate about and you would like to write about keep that in mind. yeah okay awesome Thanks. So um, you did live in Little Rock for a while uh, before moving back here. When did you officially move back to the uh, Yale County, I guess? It's been two and a half, two and a half, three, probably three years now. I guess three years. Yeah, because Pearlie's six and she was about three, almost four, I think, when we moved back. Yeah, so it's been two and a half, something like that. I know we moved back. Well, it's probably been three years this year because I know it was August when we moved because I remember it was like an, a surprisingly cool August and I remember feeling so grateful because we were moving and it was August and it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so yeah, it must have yeah. been three years. This July has been grueling. Am I right? Wow. The humidity. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, which <clears throat> brings me to the last, with like the last thing I would like to uh, touch base on maybe, maybe you're the only person I know who was ready for the pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, per- somebody I personally know that had, that had it in line, like maybe, maybe all this just stops, which it kind of did in, in many ways, but oh, you were man. good probably. I mean, at least you had to have some peace of mind and yeah. Is that why is I mean people say they have a plan but I'm telling you right now Cora and I did not have that plan. Mm-hmm. We were able we were able to 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 adapt and overcome but like like oh no we didn't plan for that. Like there was no plan for that. But with some ways that you have kind of I know that you've invested in living your life and that's what I talked with Brian a lot about when he came on the podcast is um would you say that the what's going on right now is kind of a fear of that or not necessarily fear, but a, an awareness of that is what kind of led you to some of your lifestyle these days? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination of, you know, 
you know, the folklore work. I mean, I think, you know, um, I'm really interested in like gardening and, um, you know, kind of like living closer to the land. And I think that, you know, on our culture and everything, we've really gotten disconnected and people don't realize, you know, like food supply chains, those are, they're not perfect. They're, they're very fragile. I don't think people realize how fragile they are and medicine supply chains and all that. And, um, you know, I think part of that was just, um, you know, uh, always kind of really being, as a kid, one of my biggest dreams was to live out in the country with like, you know, a small farm and stuff like that. I, I, we used to come out where I live now, we used to come out and visit my relatives and I always just admired it and thought it was so amazing and kind of always, uh, wanted to, to live like that. Um, but like, yeah, I think part of it. And then I also think, you know, just uh, honestly with everything that happened with my mom, when my mom died and my dad got sick and, you know, we were having two young children and couldn't figure out how we were going to afford groceries. Um, you know, I realized I had like an experience where I realized the bottom can drop out of anything at any time. Like that is just the reality of life, you know? And I think logically everybody knows that, but like when you experience it on some level, it transforms you, you know what I mean? Like you're like, no, it really can like legitimately can. And so I think, you know, when things were happening with the pandemic, like, I mean, I was aware of the fact that different people have been thinking that there was the possibility of um, a pandemic for a long time because pandemics can be cyclical and the flu, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not like this is a new thing. This happens in human history all the time, which is sort of funny to me when people get really conspiracy theory about it. It's like, this is not the first time this has happened. This is like a hallmark of history. It will happen again and again and again. Um, the buzzword and, is unprecedented, which yeah. I think is, is a false spin on it's scary. the thing I bring up repeatedly and Mitch Lerner, he's a, uh, a historian that came on is he's like, it talked about there being an anti-mask league during the Spanish <laughs> flu pandemic. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reason people should study history is like, there's really nothing that's unprecedented in a lot of ways. If you study history, I mean, we just cycle through, you know, stuff all the time, but yeah, I think, you know, um, I just, I mean, I jokingly call it prepping, but part of it is like, a lot of people think I'm like really worried or that I'm miserable or, you know, cause I think about stuff like this, but it's not, I actually really enjoy like the act of, you know, growing my own food. It gives me a lot of peace. Um, I really like for my kids to learn how to do that. So, um, so it's actually not like a miserable thing. It's actually, but you know, I, so I wouldn't say I was like totally prepared. I just think I was more, had been living my life in such a way that I was aware that that was a possibility, whether it be a pandemic or, um, you know, a major storm or, you know, it can be any number of things. And so like our modern society is very fragile. And I think that we don't think of it as being as fragile as it is. And, and so, um, you know, I think we should all be a little bit more self-sufficient, um, in that sense, because, uh, it's really naive to think that, um, everything will just flow along like normal. I feel like that's super naive. So, but I also don't think we should be like freaking out all the time. Cause that, it, that brings its own kind of like problems or whatever, but there's something to be said about growing your own food and getting closer to that. And, um, for me, it's a, honestly, it's like a spiritual practice as well. It's like being able to work with the dirt and, um, grow food and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I remember when everything started coming out and I remember like early on, I was like, I was like, went to the store and bought like a bunch of stuff. Like I didn't, I don't hoard. I don't believe in hoarding. Cause that's bad. You know, that can be really problematic, but I went and got what I thought we would need. And then by the time, like, they actually started closing stuff down, I was like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> like, you know. No joke. I had a thought. It had been a few weeks in, and I saw, I guess I just saw you post something maybe on social or, like, something unrelated, like you were commenting on some other societal collapsing events <laughs> going on or something. I was like, oh, they're fine. Like, that was my thought. I was like, they're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, but that's just, uh, and 
great. I mean, I know that you guys, um, does, does, does what you do with the community market, is there any sort of an online feature to that or was there? Not in Dardanelle. And I'm not selling at the market right now just because. Um, that's why, it, yeah, that's why I asked. I wondered. Yeah, but the rest of the one has an online. And, and some of the people who vend at the Dardanelle market also vend at the rest of the one through the Episcopal Church. It's, um, and I'm blanking on the name, even though I know what it is right now. But, um, but yeah, but there's definitely, um, you know, and that's something I always tell people is encourage people to, um, to support local growers because they are the ones that, um, you know, will will help when there are food supply, you know, uh, breakdowns. Is those are those are going to be the folks that um, that are going to feed us. And so, um, you know, if you're able to afford to pay a little more to pay local farmers, it's a literal investment in the community. You know what I mean? It literally is an investment in the community. And so I, you know, uh, we don't sell a lot of our stuff. We mostly just grow for ourselves. But there's a lot of folks out there who do sell and um, highly highly think that we should support them more i'd love to do i'd love to see us do more of that yeah um what one last question is a is a mom uh and where we are at with the pandemic do you have any thoughts or concerns about resuming classes for k-12 oh man yes um I have mixed feelings on a lot of it. We have, I'll tell you what we've decided for us. And I think every parent has to make, you know, everybody's life looks really different. So I think people have to figure out what works for them. Um, and we're really lucky. I mean, I think that's the other thing is a lot of people may want to choose virtual schooling and may not be able to do it because of work or, or internet or, I mean, there's so many layers there and we're super lucky. Um, but for us, we decided to do virtual um, for a couple of reasons. Um, Brian already works from home. Um, we have acreage, so we're in no, our kids are not cooped up and they're not bored. You know what I mean? We live, so but again, that's, we're very lucky. And, but the biggest deciding factor, I think, for us was, um, you know, one of the whole reasons that we relocated and moved back was for me to be close to my dad, who's 80 and who has a lot of health problems. And so I did not feel like I could send them back and forth to school all the time. And then also back and forth to my dad's. I felt like I couldn't do that. Um, and he didn't feel comfortable with that. And um, well, he got a he got a really bad flu a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Right. He almost died from from a, from complication from the flu two years ago. And again, that was another reason I think I was so prepped for the pandemic. Honestly, is because um, I watched my dad get pneumonia and almost die from the flu. You know, and I mean, it was bad. It was scary. I mean, I really thought we were going to lose him there for a while when he was in the hospital. And um, so, you know, he he's beat cancer twice, but he's eighty something years old and he's got heart problems. And when you get um, respiratory problems and you have heart problems that is a bad like combination so you know I thought like we couldn't keep and I'm an only child and uh you know there's no backup caregiver for him you know what I mean there's no backup family to come in and help so I felt like we couldn't have them going back and forth and then also be there for my dad and so that was the decision that we made um but you know part of that is we're really lucky um with you know we do have some internet access it's limited and we'll have to be careful but we do have it um brian you know works from home and we have room um but i really feel for families who don't you know who maybe want to make those decisions but can't because of jobs i mean i just feel like it is a no-win situation for so many people um and i feel like it's really exposing the divides that we already have in terms of our community, in terms of haves and have nots. I mean, it is just exposing that so big and, um, you know, and then I think we've got, you know, people who are really don't understand the science and I know the science is always changing. That's true. But, but the actual like credited science is like changing a little bit, but it's not changing hugely. I mean, there, there there's, everybody's pretty much agreeing on how you, um, 
bring down the numbers and they've effectively done that in other countries like like germany's going back to school now you know because they followed a lot of safety precautions and they're going back to school and there's still cases but it's not nearly as bad as it is here and i think you know that's because they had a very good i mean i'm sure it was imperfect but they've been able to um address it and curtail the huge numbers and been able to bring back some safety and so i you know hope we can do that here but I don't know. I just really feel for the teachers because I feel like they're in an impossible situation. I feel like the janitors are in impossible. I feel like everybody's in an impossible situation. And so, and I feel like we don't have adequate leadership at the national level to deal with this. And I, you know, so I think it's just showing all these divides. And so I guess as a, in, as a community member in a place where a lot of people think it still is a scam, a scam or a hoax or whatever. Um, you know, I just think we have to really figure out how to come together as a, as a community and help each other. Cause we're not going to get support elsewhere, you know? So we have to like figure out how to do it together. And so I just feel like I went to a meeting the other night at the Dardanelle school district. And I love what our principal said. She was like, we just have to give each other a lot of grace right now. And I, a lot of paper. I saw that post you made. Was... You know, because nobody really knows what the right thing is. And I mean, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for like kids, for some kids being in school is the safest place for them, even during a pandemic. And I think that, you know, is so sad, but also so true. Um, so there's just no, I think if nothing else, it's exposing the problems that were already had in our community. It's just like shining a spotlight on them. You know, and so it's just so much bigger than the, just the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we have to kind of figure out ways to share resources and get creative. And um, I think in times like this, people want to kind of attack other people. And that's not useful or helpful. <laughs> and so, um, and it just hurts us more. So I think, yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like every family has to do well, it's right for them, but I feel like it's just a very difficult situation and there's no easy way out. And I think in 20 years, we'll all be able to look back and be like, well, we should have done this, 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 and this. Um, but, you know, right now, I think there's just a lot of confusion and I wish they would postpone opening. Um, but I, I, I don't think that that's a cure-all because in postponing opening, there are other problems that come out of that. So I think it's just... Yeah, but if nothing else, we have to give safe PPE to the teachers. I think we should pay the teachers and the janitors more. I mean, like there's a ton of things I think we should be doing to offset the risks that are that are there. Um, I think all the time we we talk about how much we respect our teachers, but we don't really show it with our actions through funding or through resources. And I think we need to really get our act together on that. So. Um, yeah, I could ramble on and on about that, but I, 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 I will say in terms of like if parents are struggling and they want to have resources with the, the River Valley Adult Learning Alliance, you know, we'll have them. Um, we're trying to build resources, so that's one place that we can help. They won't be huge and we don't have a ton of money, but um, if people want to work with us, that would be great. Yeah. All right, Meredith. Well, this has been a great talk. It was good to see you. And I would say just based off what I know, and uh, you are somebody that I think makes a difference in the local community. So oh, keep doing you. what you're doing. All right. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank Have you a for great this day. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. See Bye. ya.